You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, this is week number two in our series called Your Place in Eternity. Turn to somebody close by you and ask them, say, do you know where you're going in eternity? Tell them this, say, you can know before the day's over if you don't already know. (laughs) Amen. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about eternity. You do understand that this life here in the earth is not all there is, that there is more, and uh, I'm glad for that, and I'm excited about eternity. So let's, uh, let's jump into this. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and we're going to begin there. And uh, the notes are there, are your, the scriptures are on the notes for you. By the way, all of my notes are already on the website, so you can make yourself available to them. But Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, If then you were seated or raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind, he said, on things above. I want you to understand this is something you have to intentionally do. It's not accidental. God doesn't do it for you either. You have to set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So write this down. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing I want you to get, and that is this. Paul tells us we need to be heavenly-minded, heavenly-minded. Now, there's an old preacher saying uh, that's been around for a long time. You've probably heard it before. You know, I want to explain to you what Paul is telling us here because I don't want you to grow so heavenly-minded you're no earthly good, okay? And I know what preachers meant when they said that. You know, you get people that are so deep and spiritual that they have a hard time functioning in, in this life, and that's not what Paul is telling us here. You need to be thinking about things pertaining to heaven spiritually. Now, let me say this to you. You are already heavenly spirited, meaning when you got born again, you have heaven already living on the inside of you. Did you know you're already a citizen of heaven? Okay, you already belong there. You may not have been there yet, but you are a citizen of heaven. Jesus already lives on the inside of you, so you have a a little bit of heaven already on the inside of you. So what is, what is it that the Lord is telling us in, in, through the Apostle Paul that we need to be mindful of? Well, this is not in your notes, but it's that you need to be mindful of what Christ is doing at the right hand of God and the fact that you have authority and that you are seated with him in heavenly places. Those are the things that God wants us to be mindful about Does he mean you need to be thinking about what's going on in heaven on a daily basis? Well, the answer to that question is not necessarily. And here's why. Here's a good indicator. Is the Bible doesn't really tell us a whole lot about what's going on in heaven on a day-to-day basis. 
And so if, if it was something that we really needed to deal with on a regular basis, then God would have spelled out more about it in, uh, in the Bible and, and given us more information. But really what God wants you to be mindful of is what Jesus purchased for us legally, what he, what he did for us and in us spiritually, and how we need to live and walk those things out. That is being eternally minded. Now, that's not to say we're not going to understand some things about heaven. We're going to talk about those things today. And I want to say this to you. You need to uh, get today what we're going to talk about today, and then I really want to encourage you, be here next week because you're going to want to hear what we talk about next week as well. Now, just a little shameless plug there. So we all, we have all rather the power and authority we could possibly need, but here's what Paul is saying. We need to be reminded of that. We need to keep that in our thinking. You don't have, or, or let me say it to you this way. You're not going to get any more authority when you get to heaven than you have right now. You're not, I'm going to say this to you, you you're not going to get any more power when you get to heaven than you already possess right now through and by the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, the scripture emphasizes that Jesus is at God's right hand interceding for us, the Bible says. Did you know he's praying for you right now? He's, he's got God's ear where he's talking about you and me all the time. Now, I want to say this to you because maybe we, we don't always connect the dots. You do understand that Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father, that's not the first time he was there. He was there seated at the right hand of the Father throughout all of eternity past. Now, there's a difference between what he did then and what he's doing now. And that difference is he is a man in a flesh body that is 100% man and 100% God interceding on your behalf. And here's why that's so cool is because he has experienced everything that you could experience here in the earth. And so he is praying and, and interceding for us right now, making a heavenly connection for us. So those are the things that we need to understand about what is going on in heaven right now. But for the sake of our study, let's talk a little bit about what is heaven like. Anybody curious as to what heaven is like? Okay. Well, we're going to get into that and talk about it. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 51 verses and through 54. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 54. And I'm going to give you five things today, and then we'll cover some more next week, but I'm going to give you five things that you need to know about heaven. All right, let's go. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, Paul said, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Now, I want to stop right here because I've heard this said at funerals, and, and I think it was said uh, in, a, in a misunderstanding way in the sense of when someone dies, they do not go to sleep, okay? Anybody ever heard that, you know, that that person is just gone into soul sleep or whatever people call it? No, when that person dies, if they know Jesus Christ, their spirit and their soul have gone to heaven, and then we, 
you know, have a service for the memory and for the body and so forth, all right? So the reason that the scripture makes reference of this, when, when Paul said, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, here's why. For a believer, it's like you are asleep because how many of you know when you go to sleep, it's not permanent? Hopefully you got up this morning. Okay, was there anybody here that did not get up this morning? All right, so hopefully you got up this morning. So when you laid down and went to bed last night, you went to bed with the intention of at whatever time, I'm getting back up again. So when Paul and in, in, in the epistles, we read where it says that the saints have gone to sleep, the reason that they made that reference was because their state physically is not permanent. All right, so keep that in mind. So he says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, talking about the flesh body, your spirit is not corruptible. Your spirit is clean and holy. Your soul is being renewed by the word of God. So if there is corruption still present, it's in this flesh body, okay? For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now I'm going to do the best that I can to, to keep this, uh, uh, this particular little section right here and give you the Reader's Digest condensed version, okay? Because you could spend weeks talking about this particular subject, all right? But I want to give you this. Let's write this down. Here's number one. The first thing you need to know about heaven is this. One day we will receive new bodies in heaven. Aren't you glad? Hallelujah. Now somebody said, well, what will they look like? I, I don't know. I think they'll look very similar to the way you look now, but I believe that you're going to be at an ideal age, an ideal physical condition, and anything that's wrong is going to be made whole. All right? But let me, here's what I wanted to give to you, and that is this. All this will take place at what is called the rapture of the church. Anybody ever heard of the rapture? Okay. Now, as far as Christians go, there are two groups of Christians. There are those Christians that have died and gone home to be with the Lord, and then there are those of us who remain, and there are those of us in the earth that are here when Jesus uh, returns or when the rapture takes place. Now, in the Scripture says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. So there's two things that are going to happen. Number one, the dead in Christ, the people that have died, and we've had funerals for, or, or maybe uh, their bodies were cremated, or their bodies were lost at sea, or whatever the case is, God supernaturally is going to recreate those physical bodies, put them back together, and give us a glorified body 
at that moment. Now, let me say this to you. I know some have, uh, you know, maybe preferences, and, and I'm not knocking a preference. I want you to make this preference based on knowledge, not what you've always heard, and that is this. I know some Christians that don't, uh, that have a problem with cremation, okay? Now, that's your choice, but I will say this to you. Whether you're cremated or put in a casket and put in the ground or you were lost at sea or your body was consumed in a fire or by some other means of accident or something like that, all right, not to be too graphic, that is not too hard for the power of God to cause this to happen. Do you think God's going to stop in heaven and go, oh man, I thought we had a funeral for them and I thought their body would still be in the ground and it'd be a whole lot easier for me than versus they were cremated and they spread their ashes all over the place. What am I going to do about that situation? Because now their ashes are spread everywhere. No, that's not going to slow the power of God down at all. But again, that's preference. However you choose to do that, it, I want you to understand, it's not going to hinder what God's plan is or slow God down at all. So the beauty of that is no matter, oh, oh, and by the way, if you're in the ground long enough, you end up back as dirt anyway, so it's, it's all going to end up the same, all right? Now, what I want you to see is, is that in that moment when the last trumpet shall sound, and this isn't a a lesson on the, the rapture, but when that takes place, the dead in Christ, their bodies will be supernaturally brought back together, glorified, and then their bodies and their spirits and their souls will be reunited back together to become one whole person again. Now, for those of us who are alive when that takes place, our spirit and our soul are still present. So the power of God will come in contact with our physical bodies and our physical bodies will be glorified and therefore our spirit, soul, and body will be able to go and to be with the Lord. Now here's why that has to happen this way. Um, we will not be able to spend an eternity with the Lord in heaven or in the earth during the thousand-year reign, which, again, I'm not going to get off into all that, but here's why. If God did not deal with your physical body and for eternity just your spirit and your soul were in heaven, it would be a constant reminder of the failure and the fall of Adam that caused our bodies to be corrupted anyway and it would be a blemish on heaven that God's power was not sufficient to fix that. But God is all powerful. He can do that, and he said that he will. Do you understand that? Okay, why he must do that? All right, so it's so important that we understand those things. So God does not want heaven bearing the mark and stain of man's sin. And so he is going to fix that and wipe that out forever so there will be no reminder for eternity of what man did. The only reminder will be the scars that are on Jesus' body, that the price was paid, that that's it. Hallelujah. So God wants whole people to be whole in heaven, not just spirit and soul. All right? Does that make sense to you? 
All right, let's go to John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. This is the last moments of Jesus' life here on the earth before he's crucified, and he gathers his disciples up. And so if you read John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, those are the last hours that Jesus is with his disciples, and he, he gives them uh, some last-minute ministry. And so in John chapter 14, he says this, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father, everybody say Father. He said, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Now, in a nutshell, here's what Jesus was saying, and this is number two. You will have a home in heaven. You will have a home in heaven. Now, I want to say this to you. Um, God, let me say it another way. Family is God's idea. That's not something man came up with. You know, family where you have a household and you have a father and mother and children and relatives and all of that. That is not man's idea. That is God's idea. God has been about family from the very beginning, okay? So what I want you to see is, is that in heaven, that God is all about family and family relationships. Now, I, you know, I get asked uh, or have been asked in the past, and maybe you have thought about this, and that is this, will we still be related when we get to heaven? Can I say to you, were you related here? And if the answer is yes, then you will be related in heaven. Okay? For, let me say it to you this way. My mama is my mama now, and she will be my mama in heaven. Now, I don't think she'll be able to tell me what to do there, but no, I'm, maybe. I'm, I don't know. I'm just kidding. All right. So that does not change, and that will not change forever because that's part of the plan of God. Family is God's idea. Now, just make a note if you want to of, of some scriptures. They're not in your notes, but I, I just make a note. Matthew 22, verses 23 through 33. Matthew 22, verses 23 through 33. Now, this is a, a portion of Scripture where the religious leaders came to Jesus trying to trick Jesus. And they gave Jesus a scenario based on the Old Testament law. And let me tell you what the Old Testament law said. The Old Testament law said this, that if, if I was married and, and it was myself and my wife and we had no children and I died then my brother was supposed to marry her in order to carry on the family name and to keep our lineage going. So the religious leaders brought this to Jesus and they said, okay, Jesus, and this is my paraphrasation, but Jesus, there was a woman and she was married and her husband died and according to the law, her brother married her. He died and a second brother married her. 
on down to seven brothers. Okay, that, that might sound a little crazy to us, but, but, you know, they're taking it to the extreme in this question. And so the seventh brother dies, and then eventually the woman dies, and they all go to heaven. And so their question in trying to trick Jesus was, well, whose uh, wife is she going to be? Which one of the sons is, is she married to? And Jesus responds to him and says this, basically, again, my paraphrasation, you don't understand the word and you don't know what you're talking about. And so Jesus goes on to explain to them that there will not be marriage in heaven like there is here in the earth. And so people have taken that to, to mean that if you're married here, that you won't be married when you get to heaven. Okay, that is not what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was teaching and was trying to get the religious leaders to see was the purpose or one of the purposes for marriage is to uh, expand the species, if you will, to propagate the species, all right? That portion of our relationship will no longer be necessary, okay? So Jesus was saying that will be done away with. But he did not say, when you get to heaven, you will not be married. He just said that that purpose will be done away with. So I got good news for some of you, maybe not so good news for some of you. If you're married now, your spouse is going with you to eternity, okay, when Jesus comes back. So you're going to be married up there, so you might as well learn how to get along now. Okay? Praise the Lord. All right? Now, and, and so... He, he is not saying, Jesus is not saying to us that we'll not have love for one another in our families, okay? We've got to get rid of this mindset that when you get to heaven, it's going to be this whole big old commune. You know, that was a, a phrase from the hippie days, all right? In the 60s and the 70s, you know, you'd have a group of people that would just move in together and a bunch of flower children living with one another and they you know, everything became common and there was no boundaries. There was no this that, you know, everybody just lived together. And of course, back that time you shared your pot and you did everything else. And, and uh, that's the way that it was. And somehow that mindset crept into where Christians began to think that that's what heaven was going to be like. That is not what heaven's going to be like. You will have a home. You will have a family. Now you will, uh, you know, be able to have relationships and friendships with other people and all of that. But what I want you to see is that part of our lives will not change when we get to heaven, okay? So, uh, and we'll talk next week a little bit about, you know, will we recognize one another in heaven? Well, I, I can give you a little insight. Do you recognize one another now? Because if you do now, then you'll, you'll recognize one another in heaven, all right? Okay, am I helping anybody? All right, so uh, he's not, God is not in the business of taking away your identity. You will be you when you get to heaven. I remember, and I'll share a little bit more about this uh, next week, but uh, back in 2002, uh, there was a young man that I was mentoring and uh, we had become very close. He, he was a pilot. I was training to be a pilot back then and was in ground school and all of that. And uh, this young man, he was 21 at the time, 
could fly anything. If there was a God-given gift and talent for someone to be a pilot, this kid had it. And he wasn't intimidated by airplanes. I spent many, many hours with him in airplanes and uh, flying all over the place. And uh, we became very, very close. Uh, I helped him rededicate his life to the Lord. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit in this church and, and so forth and so on. Well, in 2002, in April of 2002, um, he, he tragically uh, went home to be with the Lord. He was in a car accident and died instantly. And uh, so it was a tremendous loss for me. And, and I really struggled with that loss and uh, really went to the Lord with it. And I said, Lord, I, I got to have some help with this. Because here this 21-year-old young man, you know, in the prime, just getting into the prime of his life, and, and uh, he went home to be with you, and I thank God he's with you in heaven. But I, I need to understand some things. And one of the things uh, that the Lord shared with me is the fact that, and this guy, not only was he extremely talented with flying, he was as funny as the day is long. If you hung out with him for any period of time, you were laughing. And uh, so one of the things that the Lord shared with me was that if you know someone and they're, they're funny here in the earth, they're funny in heaven. They're, you don't become a robot when you go to heaven, you know, with no personality, just generic vanilla. I mean, not, you know, just nothing about you. No, you don't lose your personality just because you go to heaven. So, and, and the, some of the other things, if you've ever been to a funeral that I've ever had a privilege of uh, ministering in, I try and share those things if the Lord will let me because I believe it helps people. Uh, but anyway, I'll, I'll share more about that next week. So again, I want you to understand when you get to heaven, listen, we're going to have fun in heaven. We're going to laugh. We're going to sing. We're, I mean, it, we're going to have a good time. It is not going to be dry and boring and we're sitting around holding hands singing kumbaya and, and stuff like that. It is going to be a blast, all right? Because whether you want to believe it or not, God is that way. The Bible says you need to understand some things about your heavenly father. The Bible says that he sits in the heavens and laughs when he thinks about the foolishness that people do. The Bible says that God, the scripture in Zephaniah where it says that he will rejoice over you with singing, you need to look that up in the Hebrew. What that says in the Hebrew is, is that he stands up, jumps around, spins around, and sings about you. Now, we don't picture God because here's our picture of God. He's a grumpy old man, about 90 years old, who's half mad all the time, yelling at people to stay off his yard. Okay, that's what our picture of God is. That's not the way God is at all. Amen? All right, let's go to Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 10. Let's read this. Now, Isaiah gets a glimpse into the future. And he writes this down, and he, he wrote this vision down, and he said this, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, eat grass. Okay, now we know bears don't eat grass. They will in heaven or they will in the earth, okay? 
And it says, the young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child put, shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Uh, let me go. There you go. As the waters cover the sea. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. So what Isaiah had was a glimpse into what heaven is like and in turn, what the earth will be like again one day. So here's number three. In the future, earth will be a reflection of heaven. In the future, earth will be a reflection of heaven, what heaven is like. Now, that was God's original intent in the beginning. What does Genesis 1-1 say? In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. If you really look at it in the Greek, it says, God created the heaven and the earth. And what God's intention has always been is that earth be a duplicate of heaven. So much so that at some point in the future, the two are going to become one, where God will relocate and move to the earth, all right? Now, that's after a great renovation has taken place here, but it's going to happen. Now, let's talk about the, you know, there are references to animals and so forth. Somebody might ask me, well, do, are there animals in heaven, Yes, there are, because the Scripture tells us clearly that when it, it comes time and we do battle with the Antichrist at the, the Valley of Armageddon, we will return on white horses. So we know there are horses in heaven. Now, somebody said, is my dog in heaven? Your little puppy, all right? Well, let me help you. Uh, I believe that maybe not your dog is there, but there will be a dog there that you will love equally as much. Now, for you cat lovers, I'm sorry. I hate to tell you there's no cats in heaven, okay? I, I'm just kidding. All right. So, some of you are going to have to go through counseling now because, all right. No, but I believe that there are animals in heaven, now, get this, the, the Scripture tells us, and just make a note of this, Revelation 21, I encourage you to read that entire chapter because it is a, 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 just a vivid description of what the place, heaven, is like. Heaven is 1,500 miles wide and 1,500 miles high. Now, some have interpreted that to mean that heaven is shaped like a cube, meaning it's 1,500 miles square, 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles high. I want to throw this out to you, just food for thought, okay? It could also be a pyramid if it's 1,500 miles across and 1,500 miles high. It could be that way back when that somebody over in the Middle East got a glimpse of something and that's why they created the pyramids. I don't know, okay? But I'm just telling you, we know that the scriptures tell us that the streets in heaven are made of gold, and it's not gold like you go to uh, Jared's and buy. It is so pure that it's clear. 
okay? The Bible tells us that in the, the walls and everywhere there are precious stones and jewels, diamonds, rubies, emeralds, uh, amethyst, all of those kinds of jewels are everywhere. And, and, and then it tells us that the gates, now there are four gates of heaven, and the Bible tells us that each gate is made up of a single pearl. Now, the Bible is not real clear on this, but if the gate is 1,500 miles high because it has to close on one side, does that mean that there is a pearl that was that big? That's a big oyster, y'all. That means we're going to have seafood in heaven. Hallelujah. <laughs> Captain Steve's is going to be in heaven. I don't know. I don't, y'all can. All right. I don't know. I'm just saying. Okay. So somebody might say, well, well, if the streets are paved with gold and there are all these precious jewels there, somebody says, well, you know, there, our mind goes to like it is here in the earth. You couldn't, you couldn't have the outside of your house just crusted with those kind of rare jewels. You couldn't pave your driveway in gold. You know why? Somebody come dig it up. Somebody comes take those jewels out of your wall, all right? Why doesn't that happen in heaven? Well, number one, there's no stealing in heaven. But number two is when you have so much of a precious commodity like that, it's no longer precious. It's every day. So why would I chip up some of God's asphalt when it's everywhere? There's no reason to, okay? All right, now, I'm going to say something. And uh, it might be a little controversial. I'm going to go ahead and prepare you for it. If, if, you, don't, if you get offended by what I say, uh, don't leave when I say it. Leave after the service because then nobody will know that you're offended. Okay? All right. Here we go. Number four. Write this down, please. There are lots of children in heaven. Now, that's not controversial. I will tell you what's controversial in just a moment. There are lots of children in heaven. In heaven, when a baby is conceived, not born, that child is an eternal spirit that will live forever. You know, there's a big debate in our culture today. When does life begin? Well, I could actually show you scriptures that says that a baby spirit is alive before conception takes place, but I'm not going to get into that because there's not enough scripture to make doctrine out of that, but I can tell you there's enough scripture that supports the idea that life begins at conception. When that egg becomes fertilized, life begins, and human beings are the only creatures in the earth that when we reproduce, we reproduce spirit beings, not just flesh beings like animals do, okay? Somebody says, well, I don't know about all that, Pastor. Well, let me read to you Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, and I'm going to read it to you from the Bible in basic English that says this, before you were formed in the body of your mother, I had knowledge of you. Now, I want you to think about the gravity of that, that statement. Before you were formed in the body. So before you were four months, six months, nine months pregnant or, or, you know, you had grown to that point in your mother's body, God knew you. 
And before your birth, I made you holy. Or that word holy means I set you apart. Then he says, I have given you the work of being a prophet to the nations. So this scripture says a mouthful. What this scripture says is that when life begins at conception in a mother's womb, God knows that being, that person. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 that before the foundations of the earth, you were chosen. So God knew who you were had a plan and a destiny for your life and a calling upon your life. He said you were called to be a prophet before you were ever born. I'm going to say this to you. You, no matter who you are, were called by God to do something before you ever breathed your first breath of air. Okay? Now, here's what I'm going to say and, and, and it's going to be a little controversial. This verse right here answers the question on abortion. Abortion is wrong, plain and simple. Because you are, and you know, again, the debate is when does life begin, all that kind of stuff. I heard somebody say the other day that the, the concept of a fetal heartbeat is a myth. Well, I guess you've never had an ultrasound then, Okay how you could say something so dumb and how preachers can stand up in pulpits and sign off on abortion is beyond me. Because let me say it to you this way, there are Billy Grahams, there are scientists, there are people that were destined to accomplish great things in the earth because of the hand and the calling of God on their lives and their lives were cut short, and they were never given that opportunity. Now, I will say this, okay, and, and, I, and I have to go and, and say the other side of it. If someone has had an abortion, if you are in this room this morning and you've had an abortion, there is grace and mercy and forgiveness for you, okay? It does not condemn you to an eternity in hell. That is no different than any other sin. Jesus paid the price for that just like he paid the price for everything else. Now, I want to say this, okay? What we know, I, I said that the point was, number four, is that there are lots of children in heaven. I know for a fact, just from the United States, there are at least 63 million children in heaven who have been aborted since abortion was made legal in 1972. Think about all the children that, have been miscarried. They're in heaven. Now, that's the biggest, I know that's a painful thing for a woman, and I don't diminish that at all, but it's a ray of hope, for especially for a woman who's born again, to know that you're going to see your children once again. And here's the cool thing. They know who you are, okay? They know who you are. They're aware of you. I heard the story uh, of, uh, and I hope I get this right, I heard this testimony not too long ago uh, of a, uh, a man who actually died on an operating table, went to heaven for a very pre brief period of time, and then came back, and uh, this he was an older gentleman, and um, when he got to heaven, that um, there were some young people who came up to him and were calling him Papa. And he couldn't figure out who these children were. They were actually adults by this time, you know, uh, they weren't babies, 
And so when he came back, he found out that his two daughters that were still alive in the earth had had miscarriages and these were his grandchildren that were in heaven who knew he, who he was and when they found out that he had come, they immediately ran to him and identified themselves and him as their grandfather. Isn't that awesome? All right, so that's hope. You have to understand that that is hopeful to someone who knows that they're going to heaven, all right? Again, I don't diminish the pain here in the earth, um, you know, but at the same time, and, and this is what I like to tell people, it's not the end of the story, amen? Let me show you another verse in Luke chapter one. Now, this verse is really cool. Luke chapter one, verse 44 this is an encounter when Mary, who is pregnant, six months pregnant with Jesus, goes and it, uh, goes to see her cousin Elizabeth, who is farther along in her pregnancy with John the Baptist. Okay? Now, notice what happens. Mary shows up, and it says this, and this is uh, Elizabeth responding to her when Mary walks into the house for indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe, John the Baptist, leaped in my womb for joy. Now, there's a couple of things here that I want to point out to you. Notice it says, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears. Um, babies who are not born do not understand taught languages. So whatever, you know, if this was Hebrew or Aramaic, whichever uh, uh, Mary said to Elizabeth, that baby cannot understand that. But somehow that baby was able to understand what was going on and that baby was able to identify who came in the room with Mary. Now notice it says that the baby, John, leaped in my womb for joy. Notice it doesn't say that he leaped in my womb because he was happy. It says he leaped in my womb because of joy. Joy is a fruit of what? The Spirit. So what this tells me is that children, when they are in the womb and when they are born, are spiritually aware and sensitive. Okay? Now let me show you another scripture. Romans chapter 7 and verse 9 that says this. Paul made the comment, he said, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So what this verse tells us, and there are other verses, but what this verse tells us is that when a child is born, there's what's called the age of innocence where they are innocent before God up until they reach what's called the age of accountability, which is different for every child. I can't say that you know, that's 12 years old. No, it, it, it's different for every child. But what I will say to you is this, that if a child, before they uh, reach the age of accountability, in other words, have to make a decision for themselves on their eternal destiny, if they die, they go to heaven. Okay, so when you hear about children that have died in accidents and so forth and so on, those children went to heaven. All right? I believe that with all of my heart. Now, let me show you one more scripture. We quoted this scripture last week when we dedicated little Isaiah to the Lord. 
And, and we said this in Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 15. I want to read it to you from the Passion Trail. Am I helping anyway, anybody, by the way? Okay. Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15 in the Passion, it says, Then they brought little children to Jesus so that he would lay his hands on them, bless them, and pray for them. But the disciples scolded those who brought the children, saying, Don't bother him with this now. As I said to you, they were trying to be the usher board and, and, and protect the pastor and so forth and so on. All right. But Jesus overheard them and said, I want little children to come to me. So never interfere with them when they want to come. Now notice this phrase right here. For heaven's kingdom realm is composed of beloved ones like these. Listen to the truth. No one will enter the kingdom of heaven unless he becomes like one of these then he laid his hands on each of them and went on his way. You need to understand something. Heaven is a kid's place. Again, it's not some stuffy old man's yard that kids aren't allowed to play in. No, I believe there are children all over the place having fun, enjoying themselves, living and are alive. And, and man, I cannot imagine what it would be like to be a child and to know if I fall down and scrape my knee, first of all, it will be instantly healed and there's no pain. Can you imagine? Or fall out of the tree and you don't have to worry about breaking an arm or something. Come on now. All right, wouldn't that be wonderful? That's what children are experiencing in heaven. Notice Jesus said, the kingdom's realm is composed of little ones like these. There are children all over the place in heaven. Here's number five. Write this down, please. We are going to see Jesus. We're going to see Jesus. Now, I want to read some scripture in just a moment from the book of Revelation, but I want to lay a, a little groundwork before I read it. And, and I want to talk to you for just a second about the Apostle John who wrote the book of Revelation. Now, by the way, this is not the book of Revelations this is not the book of the revelation of the boogeyman. This is not even the book of revelation about the Antichrist. If you read the first couple of verses in the book, it says this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. If you read the book of Revelation with any other intent but looking for Jesus, you're going to be confused. Okay? Now, let me talk to you a minute about the Apostle John. At the time that he had this vision and that he wrote the book of Revelation, he was 90 years old. It is 60 years after he last saw Jesus when Jesus was with the disciples in the earth after his resurrection and then he was caught up and ascended into heaven. It's 60 years since that day. He has not seen Jesus since. He loves Jesus. He, James, and Peter were the three closest disciples to the Lord Jesus. We could say it this way. They were three best friends. The Bible says that on the night of the Passover when they were receiving, uh, you know, what we call communion, it was the Passover meal together, they were so close that John, and, and they were laying on the floor. They weren't sitting at a table in chairs like we do. They were reclining on pillows on the floor and receiving this meal together. And the Bible says that John just leaned his head over against Jesus' 
chest. You know why I believe he did that? I believe he wanted to hear the heartbeat of his master, the heartbeat of the one that he loved so dearly. And so here you have this apostle whom they had already killed his brother, James. They martyred him. They tried to martyr John. They tried to crucify him. He didn't die. They tried to stone him. He didn't die. They even tried to boil him in hot oil, and he didn't die. He would not die. So the only thing that they could do was there was a penal colony on this island of Patmos, and so he and, and, and some prisoners were cast to this island of Patmos, and they just said, just put him over there and let him live out the rest of his life and let him die there. And so he's on the island of Patmos, and he's worshiping the Lord. He said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day in Revelation, and he said, then the vision was open to him. And so... You know, you have to think about this. John was the only disciple that did not leave Jesus before the cross. Everybody else scattered. Peter denied him, but John was standing right there. This was the one that was charged with caring, caring for Jesus' mother, in which he did for the rest of her life. And so here you have John has this vision, and it says this in, in chapter 10 of, of Revelation 1. It says that I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. What this is like a reference to the Jewish menorah. He said, in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. He looked like him, but I wasn't really sure because I've never seen him quite like this before. He says, he was clothed with garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a gold band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flame of fire. I'll explain why he said that in just a second. It's not that Jesus became a gray-haired man when he went to heaven. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. What you need to understand is the Scripture tells us in Revelation that all of heaven is lit by the light that comes out of Jesus Christ. There is no day nor night. It is lit all the time. That's why they have the, 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 it's lit that way because there's a bunch of children running around. You know how kids would be if it got dark, all right? I, I'm just kidding, okay? But when, when John saw Jesus and this light is emanating from him, that's why his hair looked like it was white as snow. There was fire coming out of his eyes, and it says that his feet were like polished brass. The light was coming out of his feet. And, and, and this was just remarkable, and it said that, his voice was as the sound of many waters. I've had the privilege of going to Niagara Falls. I don't know if you've ever been there. I know Barbara and them have been there. But when you're standing by the falls, you can't talk because it's a deafening, roaring sound that is extremely loud. And the Bible says that when the Lord speaks, it's in this respect, it sounds like the, the sound of many waters. It says that he had in his right hand seven stars 
Out of his mouth was a sharp two-edged sword or the word of God, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, when I saw him, this was the guy that I had lived with for three and a half years. This was the man I had followed. This was the man I had dedicated my life to. This is the man that I stood at the foot of the cross and saw him die and bleed and breathe his last. This is the man that I saw ascend into heaven. And the angel said to all of us that were standing there that in the same manner you've seen him leave, he will return again. He said, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives, and just in case you're wondering, and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. So be it. And I have the keys of hell and of death. What I want you to see is, is that you're going to see him like that one day. You're going to, you're going to, be just because we've never had the privilege of seeing him physically. We've only been able to read graphic descriptions. And I think it's going to be wonderful when we finally do get to lay eyes on him. But I love the scripture. The scripture tells us a couple of things about the Lord. And that is this, and, and write this down, please, that when we see him, we shall be like him. Now, I want you to wrap your brain around that for just a moment. Think about what John just described, and, and what you're going to see when you get to heaven is you're going to see Jesus, and then it's going to dawn on you how much you have been like him the whole time and didn't know it. Let me show you some things about him. These aren't in your notes, but uh, just a couple things to, for you to make note of. After the resurrection, Jesus could move at the speed of thought and could pass through solid things. The scripture tells us, uh, well, let me give this to you, I'm sorry, that when we see him, we shall be like him. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. In 1 John chapter 4, it goes on to say, How is he? As he is, so are we in this world. You're going to get to heaven, and it's going to blow your mind how much you were like Jesus the whole time, and the devil kept you ignorant to it, or else you would be able to accomplish some of the things that he accomplished. Luke chapter 26 says this, Now as they said these things, Jesus himself, this is after the resurrection, stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you, but they were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a ghost or a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look, behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me have. Notice he left out something. We don't say, I was there in flesh and blood. He didn't say that. He said flesh and bones. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe him for joy, marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? 
So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. You're going to eat when you get to heaven. You won't have to live by what you eat, but you'll get to eat. I think there's angels' food cake in heaven. Yeah, with strawberries on it. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right, so the Bible says that Jesus passed through the door and appeared to the disciples. A door didn't slow him down. A wall didn't slow him down. He just walked right through it. Here's the next thing I want you to see is he was physical enough to eat food, but he had no blood. Where's his blood? In heaven, sprinkled on the altar for you and for me. Let me, let me show you the scripture, Hebrews 12, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. The scripture says that when Abel was murdered by Cain in the garden, that his blood was spilled out into the dirt. And the Bible says that his blood began to cry out. What did it cry out for? Justice. I want justice. This was wrongly done. I was wrongly slain. And I want my blood to cry out for justice. And the Bible says that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. I don't know, you can disagree with me if you want to, but I believe when we get to heaven and we walk into the Holy of Holies in heaven and we see the altar there and the heavenly utensils all sprinkled and covered with blood, and sprinkled is too light of a word, it's splattered. Blood is splattered everywhere. And it's not just the blood of an animal, or a, or a normal man, it's the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and that blood is crying out and I think you'll be able to hear it because it's not crying out for justice, it's crying out and saying justice has been served, the price has been paid and man has been set free. When you get to heaven, you're gonna see this altar and it's going to have blood on it. Here's the last thing that I want to leave with you, and that is this. Heaven is an awesome place, and we should not miss going there, and we should take as many people with us as we possibly can. Amen? I want us to take just a moment, and I want us to pray, and I want you to think about heaven for a moment. I believe I know everybody that's in the room this morning, and I, I believe that I'm safe in, in saying that you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and so your eternal destiny is set. But I want you to think about for just a moment, maybe you know somebody in your life that it is not a settled fact. And I want us to begin to maybe think about those heavenly things, and I want us to begin to wrap our hearts around that and, and we're not going to necessarily do it here in this room, but I want us to begin to really think and to pray for those in our lives that need Jesus so that they won't be lost forever. Hell is a terrible place. We're going to look at a little bit about it next week. And, and 
there ought to be everything within us that wants to keep people from experiencing that and, and wanting people to experience the wonders of heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the word that we've heard today. I thank you, Father, for these truths, these wonderful things that you've imparted to us. And Lord, I thank you that we could catch little glimpses of what eternity is going to be like for us who know Christ, who have given our lives to him, who have surrendered ourselves to him, and he is the Lord of our lives, and we've been born again. Father, I thank you for that, and I praise you, Father, for what we have to look forward to. Lord Jesus, we're all looking forward to seeing you. We're looking forward to seeing loved ones. We're looking forward to experiencing the beauty of the Heavenly Father and to see all the wonders of heaven. Lord, just remind us, help us to be ever mindful on the inside of us that yes, that is gonna be a wonderful place and yes, that is what's waiting on us. But Father, help us to always keep one hand extended outward to take somebody else with us. Lord, I pray for all of us who might have loved ones that are lost, that don't know Jesus, friends, co-workers. And Father, we make ourselves available to you today and, and, and in the days to come, for the days are short, but we make ourselves available in the days to come for you to use us, Lord, to perhaps minister to someone, to share the gospel with them, to minister to them with the love of Jesus. I'm reminded, Father, of your will. The Bible said it's not your will that any should perish. And that, Father, you created that wonderful place for all of humanity to be able to experience. Thank you for doing that, Father. Thank you for stirring our hearts, keeping us mindful of those things. Father, I praise you and thank you for every precious person in here today. Lord, thank you for what the Bible calls the blessed hope that we have and that we have to look forward to. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done for us. It's not by anything that we could do or possibly do that has made the way for us to be able to experience that. It's you and your goodness and your love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for that, Father. In the name of Jesus, we love you, Jesus. Do you love the Lord today? Will you do me a favor? Will you just, just tell him? Thank you, Jesus. We love you today. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church Podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.